Good morning, church. My name is Joel Greenwood, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning, and it is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for all those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. All right, now you may be seated. (laughs) Well, good morning, church. Um, So glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Uh, For those of you who I don't know, uh, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, at Redeemer, and so it's just such a joy for us to, to get to be together uh, this morning and, and, and worship our King together. So anyways, well, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians. We are finally in chapter two. Can I get an amen? Uh, after what, seven weeks, I think? So week eight, we we're in chapter two. So um, but yeah, go, we're going to be in verses one through five this morning. Um, really quick, as one more note, um, Garrett, I know you have one. Um, we have a couple of those scripture journals out there, so those are just um, what they are. They're just a have the text of Colossians since we're going through the study. Um, they've got the text on one side and, and just a space for you to write notes on the other, and so there's a few left out there. Uh, so if you don't have one, you can pick one up. That's our gift to you. Um, if you do have one and uh, lost it, um, they're $3 on christianbook.com. So anyways, all right, so we all like to, to be assured um, we all like to be assured of something. When we're assured of something, uh, typically it's kind of hard for us, our own minds, to be, to be swayed. Uh, I remember uh, last year with our students, um, when I was leading youth, we would play a game right before our lesson time called uh, Change My Mind. You guys may have seen that meme or, or, or that uh, rolling around the internet. But essentially what it was, I told them to, okay, what you have to do is make a statement and then it was up to everybody else in the group to try to change their mind. Uh, and typically, nobody ever changed their mind, right? Like someone said, like, the country music's the best. Um, uh, and I'm like, I'll change your mind real quick. Um, no. Um, or, or I really like um, uh, double-stuffed Oreos. And some, some chump in there was like, no, thin. It's like, what are you talking about? Um, right? But like, typically, no, no one ever changed was the mind to change. My mind was changed once. Actually, it was over the topic of Oreos. Um, I personally like golden Oreos better. Um, that might be blasphemous for some of you guys. I don't know. But uh, I, I love golden Oreos. But we had a very smart student tell me that only regular Oreos have mega stuff. And that changed my mind because I'm more of a cream filling person than I am the cookie person. Anyone else? Uh, not, no? Okay. I was going to take a quick poll, but like, that's, that's right, right? But like I said, all of us, like I said, when we're assured of something, um, it's very hard for us to be persuaded. It's very hard for us to have our minds changed um, when we know something to be absolutely true. Um, really, for this idea of assurance is probably something all of us uh, want with uh, our faith. This idea that, like, um, man, I know this to be true. I know the gospel is true in my life. I know that, right? And assurance is something that we all want. But if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have been in seasons where maybe we are struggling uh, with doubt. Maybe that's you this morning. You're like, I-, I don't know if this is true. 
Or maybe some of you are coming in with a very hard circumstances, set of circumstances behind you, and it's starting to cause you to be on shaky ground. Maybe some of you guys are coming in here with experiencing some kind of hurt, um, whether it's from another person or another church or somebody you love. Um, some of you guys are wrestling with that, and that can sometimes cause this shakiness. So, so assurance of our faith, though, regardless of where you might be on that spectrum, I think it's something we all want and desire. Um, we want to be rooted in Christ. We want to know, to know, to know what we believe is true, even in times that are uncertain or even in times that we struggle. Uh, and so today, as we are continuing our, our walk through the book of Colossians, that's kind of where we're going to find ourselves today, is Paul talking about this idea um, as he's striving and struggling to help this church mature in Christ. Like I said, we talked about last week, he, his aim and goal of his whole ministry was to strengthen churches and to present believers mature and perfect in Christ. That was Paul's goal. Paul, yes, was an evangelist, but more so he was a church planner. He was about strengthening churches and strengthening believers so they were firm and walked in full assurance of the things that they believed in Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today is what, as he's continuing on in this letter and as he's striving for, to help this group of believers walk in assurance, um, today we're going to look at two questions that I think Paul is going to help answer and address in these first five verses of chapter two. And I'll go ahead and give them to you right now. The, first, the questions are, how is gospel assurance produced? How can we be assured of the gospel? How is that shown in our lives? And then... What happens to a community of believers that walk in this full assurance? What might that look like for a group of people, for the church, to walk in the assurance of the things that we believe uh, to be true? And my hope for us today um, is, one, that, that we can have that assurance, that we know what we have in Christ is true, good, and beautiful. And two, that we see that this effort to walk in assurance is not an individual effort, but yet it requires, yet it requires all of us. So go, go ahead and with me. We're going to look in the first two verses, chapter 2. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have, seen me, have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And so like I said, this, this point of the letter is a bit of a transition point. Um, beginning in chapter 2, he begins to hone in on their specific situation. So the verses before, he's talking about his ministry at large, that he was called, like we just said, to help believers grow and be strengthened in the gospel to walk as disciples, firm in their foundation of knowing Jesus. And then in this call to, to minister to the Gentiles, um, Paul then hones in on them and like said, hey, this includes you guys too. And then he begins to address their specific problem um, that they are dealing with, this church in Colossae. And he says also in the church of Laodicea, Laodicea was a town that was near Colossae. So this letter that he wrote um, was also going to be read to the church that was in Laodicea as well. So... Um, so like I said, they, but the, because they were, these two cities were so close together, uh, the issues that they were facing were very similar. And the issue was that there was this false teaching that was coming in that was essentially saying there's these people that were among them um, that were in their body, they were among, in their midst, and they were saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, but there's actually a higher knowledge. There's an even better knowledge. Jesus is just kind of the gateway um, to, to knowledge, but if you want true knowledge, 
come follow us. Come practice these different things. And then you might be enlightened. You might be enlightened to this mystery, this, this knowledge that you can. So essentially what it was doing, it was taking their eyes off of Jesus and having them put it on something else. It was shifting their minds away from Christ and who they were in him and having their uh, minds more so looking at other things for true wisdom. And so what Paul is addressing to this community is that, um, just like he said last week, that this, this idea that Christ in you, this mystery that was hidden for ages but now revealed, is all you need. There is nothing else. There is no other true wisdom. There is no other thing that you can try to find to try to find true life and joy in. Jesus is it. And so he's writing this, this letter to remind them of that. And so he's beginning to hone in on their uh, specific situation. And he's addressing, uh, and he'll be getting more into it in chapter 2, but he's beginning to address the issues that were going on with this false teaching. But you look in verse 2, and he says that, I want your hearts to be encouraged, um, uh, being knit together in love, uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance. And so that word encouraged there means to be comforted or to be consoled. And so his goal is for them to be encouraged and consoled to a point so that they have full assurance of the mystery of God, which is Christ in you. He wants their hearts to be com- uh, comforted and encouraged in such a way that produces in them a confidence in what they believe a confidence in the gospel, a confidence that they don't need to look to any other false wisdom to be able to have true life. And so he's wanting them to be comforted, and he wants them to have this full confidence. He wants to, in other words, he wants them to have gospel assurance. Gospel assurance. And what I mean by gospel assurance is simply this. It's this confidence that what we have in Christ, what they had in Christ, is enough. Christ is all I need for salvation. He's all I need for life. His love, his forgiveness, his mercy is enough. And our comfort and ultimate identity cannot be found in anything else. So for them, they didn't need to look to others some weird Gnostic wisdom to try to find life. They had everything they needed in Jesus. For us, we don't need to, to look to approval or to a relationship or to a sin, stat, or sin struggle or a status. We don't need to look to other things of this world even if it's a good thing, to find true life. Because we already have all the life we need in Jesus. That's what I mean by gospel assurance. Gospel assurance is this confidence that Christ is enough. No matter what we're going through, no matter the circumstance, um, us, what we have in him is, is, is enough. Now, so, so to get to the first question I want to talk about today is that, then is how might gospel assurance be produced in our lives? How might we have the assurance of the gospel in our lives? And I think I said, that's, I think, what we want, right? Whenever we buy a new car, we're driving it off of Jim Bass or Mitchell Toyota. Uh, We don't want to have to come back a week later because the engine, like, fell out, right? Uh, If that's your your story, I'm so sorry, right? We don't want that. Uh, Or if you're going into a procedure, uh, you don't want the doctor to be like, eh, I think I got this. I think I know what I'm doing. Y'all, y'all have seen that Geico commercial, right? Jess, who just got reinstated. Uh, yeah, we, we want our doctors to be assured and know what they're doing, right? We want, if we bought this big purchase of like a car, we want to be able to drive it and not have to bring it back to the shop a week later. Uh, we want this assurance. And so same goes for our faith, is that we want to be assured in what we believe and be able to have confidence that Christ is enough. And so, so amid... Uh, uh, these things, the circumstances of our life, this things that might, the, the doubt, the hard times that we might 
sometimes experience as Christians. Amid those things, how can we grow in gospel assurance? Well, really, these verses bring up two uh, interdependent um, components that I think is going to help us understand this. And what I mean by that is these two things rely on one another. They need one another to fully function as one. And so there's two interdependent things that I think Paul brings up um, that can help produce this gospel assurance. And the first is found in verses 2 and 3. So, so really catch the end of, of verse 2. He says he wants them to hear their hearts to be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so like I said, he uses this word mystery specifically, and we went into it a little bit more last week, but essentially what he's doing, he's using this word intentionally, right? This idea that, that the gospel is a ministry, a mystery is talking about how in the Old Testament, um, God was moving events in such a way to help uh, bring about the salvation and reconcile all of mankind back to himself through Jesus, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, the Gospels are the fulfillment of it, and then everything after is, what does it now look like living in light of Christ, uh, of living in light of that? So like I, said, it's just, and like I said, we went into it more last week, but that's what he's talking about, this mystery. And he says, he, he says that in, with this mystery, which is Christ in you, all the, treasures, uh, uh, sorry, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. They're hidden in him. And one of the key words of that little phrase is all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in the person of Jesus. And like I said, when we think of a treasure chest, typically the thing that's valuable of the treasure chest is not the chest itself. Typically, as you think in like movies, the chest is like made up of beat up wood and and some two by fours um, that should have been long tossed before, right? But what's inside the treasure chest is what's valuable, What's inside it is the treasures, is the golds, uh, and all that different, all those different things. So, say, like, so what he says is that all the treasures and wisdom are found in Christ. There's nothing lacking. This is the key. There's nothing lacking in Jesus that should cause us to look elsewhere. There's nothing lacking in Him um, uh, that should cause us to to look somewhere else for life. Everything, all good things, are found in Jesus. Paul's using this language very intentionally, this idea of mystery and all, because he's reminding them, you don't need to look anywhere else. So all these treasures is found in Christ. And in some ways, this, this verse speaks of, of what Paul talks about, and I think believe in Corinthians, that how um, it's, the gospel is foolishness to those uh, who, uh, to, to outside world. Like, like the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Uh, and so what it means is that life in Christ means that we realize that, man, we, we are broken and that we do have sin that we can't fix on our own. Man, and we don't like to be wrong, right? That's why that's foolishness. We don't want to be told that we're wrong. Um, life in Christ means that we have to die to our own wills, our own desires, our own little kingdoms. We have to die to those things um, and learn to live as followers of Jesus instead for his kingdom. And, and sometimes that's hard. We, we like, we, we, sometimes we like our sin, right? We, we like um, being the center of attention. We like living for ourselves. I mean, can we be honest, right? But, but the, the call of the, of the Christian is to, to die to ourselves, right? So, but life in Christ means that um, knowing Jesus and being known by him is more precious than anything that this life has to offer. It's more valuable, and so to anyone who's not a Christian, this is not going to make sense. 
right? Because we live in a culture that, that, that some of the highest values are, hey, if it feels good, go for it, right? Or we live in, or and put it another way, is the most important thing is my rights, what I can, right? what, I, what I want, what I think is right, what I think is good. Uh, and like I said, while there's nothing wrong with those things inherently, the call of the Christian is to, to die to those things, right? We can't just see Jesus as just a religious figure, because if we do, if, he, if we see Jesus as just a really religious figure that had some cool things to say, um, then you're missing out on the fullness of who he presented himself into scripture, in Scripture. We can't just reduce Jesus just to those things. We can't, right? Jesus, um, life in Christ, all the treasures that are in him, means that we can't have those mantras of our life. We can't live by, if it feels good, go for it. Or we can't live by, my rights are the most important thing. Because all wisdom is found in him, not us. All wisdom is found in him, not us. Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, speaks to this a little bit. He says, Solomon says, if you seek it, talking about wisdom, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And this knowledge and understanding of, of the Lord's wisdom ultimately comes about dying to ourselves and living for Christ. Paul also brings this up in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, he says in verses 24 through 25 that, those that belong to Christ Jesus have been crucif- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You notice those contrasting ideas that are being presented. As Christians, we have crucified the flesh. We are in the process of putting to death our sin. We don't live for those things anymore. We struggle, yes, but we, we aim to actively put these things to death and live to Christ. That's what it means if we really believe that all the wisdom and treasures are hidden in Jesus, right? This is, this is what we're doing. We're looking to put to death the things that don't match his will, right? Like I said, the treasure is seen ultimately, though, when we, we have our faith in Jesus and we recognize that he is a much better Lord than I am and we're willing to live accordingly, right? The treasure is seen um, also in the root of the gospel message in that, like, in Christ, you are actually welcomed into a family, that in Christ, um, you are fully righteous and redeemed. In Christ, you are fully adopted. And this adoption, this righteousness, this holiness, this blameless, all these things that we receive from him is not attained by what we did, but rather what Jesus did for us on the cross. Right? That's, that's the treasure. And when we believe these things, like I said, when we realize that the gospel isn't about what we did, but what Christ did for us, man, then, then, then all of a sudden we're able to walk more in step with I mean, are that how we've been welcomed in. Right? Like I said, if Jesus is just another religious figure, or he's just a guy that says some weird things, we will not experience the fullness of Christ. He'll just be like another teacher that, that the world might celebrate or reject based on uh, what year it is. Christianity, like I said, is not just about following a bunch of rules so we don't go to hell. Christianity is not just about trying to be good and, and play nice with one another. Christianity is about crucifying ourselves and living to Christ. And the more that we do that, the more that we'll see the goodness of our Savior. The more that we will see. And so, so and think about what Paul says, and you go look back in verse 28 of chapter 1. Remember, he's striving to present them mature in Christ. And he wants their faith to be strengthened. He wants them to know Jesus more. 
And, and, and like I said, if there was something lacking in Christ, Paul would not have said in verse 3 that all wisdom and treasures are found in him. He would not have said that. But because there isn't lack, anything lacking in him, because there isn't, because our faith is complete in Jesus, right? That's why he, 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 he says that there isn't anything lacking. It is good. It is beautiful, right? It, it, it is that good. The, the John Calvin, who was a theologian in the 1500s, he says it like this. He says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ, by which he means that we are perfect in wisdom if we truly know Christ, so that it is madness to wish to know anything else besides him. This is what we're talking about here. This is what it means to be complete in Christ, that we are so confident. And like, here's the thing. When it comes to crucifying our own flesh, that's hard, Okay. I want to be honest, that's hard because sometimes what that entails is us moving away from things that feel right and feel good that almost seems wrong to not participate in, right? Do you ever feel that way, right? To move away from something that ultimately seems right, yet we know it's not good for our flourishing in Christ is a hard thing. But praise be to God because he gives us the grace that we need, the mercy that we need to be able to walk in those things, to be able to put those things and to move away. And they say, like I said, we don't need to look to anywhere else to try to, like I said, if, if the Christianity was just about trying to be better and beha- behave the right way, man, like, that's so shallow and that's so low. But rather, if, if we're putting things away to move por- towards a person, man, that's so much more rich. And that's, that's, that, that's like I said, that our assurance isn't about in a position. Our assurance is ultimately being firm in a person. And that person is Jesus. And like I said, we can have assurance even in hard times. Because like I said, if we're adopted into God's family, not based on our own merits, but on the merits of Christ, then even in the hard times, he's still with us. Even when sin is hard and is is really knocking at the door, we still have a Savior who welcomes us in in the midst of that. Like I said, we, we oftentimes will suffer and oftentimes we'll have struggles of doubt. And, and, and like I said, those are sometimes that are part of the natural part of the Christian life. Um, but being in Christ in the midst of those things means that we have a Savior who's willing to walk us through those times. Like I said, so assurance, like I said, the goal of assurance is not to be firm in a position, but rather in a person. And assurance comes from knowing Christ. In Christ is all wisdom. The treasure is him. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. And all that we need, uh, we can have full assurance in him because he is all that we need. And so he said, assurance comes from knowing that in Christ is all wisdom. But there's another component to this assurance. Um, and, and it's kind of tucked away in these verses. It's just a little phrase, a little clause that we can easily gloss over. That, But it's actually a huge part to actually walking in gospel assurance. One of the things that we have to remember is that when you read a book of, uh, especially one of Paul's letters, you have to remember, you think about the context in which the the audience had received this letter. Um, Chances are there was a group of people like this um, that were in the room. Um, There were a lot of people. This letter was being read in front of a bunch of other people, other Christians. And so sometimes, like I said, when we read these letters, we're really quick to individualize these things. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But for them, like I said, yes, they, as they heard Paul's words to the Colossians. They were certainly internalizing them. They certainly were, okay, what does this mean for me? But probably even more so, they were thinking about, okay, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for the, the whole group? 
So we have to remember that Paul is writing to a group of people. So whenever you see the, the you uh, in, in, verses two, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that you is plural. It means there's many, there's multiple. He's writing to not just one person, but to many people. And then so tucked away, though, in these verses is this little phrase um, that says, being knitted together in love. Being knitted together in love. Let me read verse 2 again, just so we can kind of see where that, that, that little phrase is wedged in. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, so this being knit together in love is the glue between them having hearts that were encouraged and comforted and having full assurance. It's the glue that brings these things together. And ultimately, how can we have full assurance of the knowledge of Christ how can a full assurance of Christ come to us? Ultimately, through tangible love for one another. Through a tangible love for one another that reflects the love that Christ has for us. So that's a sacrificial love. It's a love that lays down our own wills and desires for the sake of our brothers and sisters. It's a love that is willing to set aside our preferences and opinions for the good of the rest for the body, right? It's a deep desire to look at your brother and sister in Christ next to you and more than you longing for them to vote the way you want, you long for them to know Jesus. You long for them to mature and present themselves uh, in such a way before Christ in which they're delighting and enjoying him. It's this desire that you're willing to go to extreme lengths to help them walk in that. Right? This is why, like I said, this, this, this being knit together is the glue between their hearts being encouraged and consoled and them having this confidence in the gospel because the love was ultimately going to be a display of the things that they walked in. If we know Jesus and we are sure that all the wisdom and riches is found in him, that will manifest itself in the way we treat each other. That'll show, that'll show, that'll show itself in how we love each other. Like I said, so we cannot think of faith individually. It must be a corporate thing. Yes, there is an individual component. Yes, we do have a relationship with Jesus and, um, that is our own, but we can't just isolate it to just that. We can't reduce it to just that. If we don't have a corporate aspect to our walk with Jesus, then we're missing something. We're missing something. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce, he says it like this. He says that Paul emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. Let me say that again. He emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. So, 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 so what that means is that right doctrine truly understood and believed will mean that it's also lived. Like I said, if, if we just have big heads and, and right doctrine, but we don't love, I don't think we really believe. We don't really believe the gospel. We don't have love. You might say the right things, but if it's not showing itself in a care and love for one another, then I think something's missing. You believe just a bunch of facts about Jesus. You might not actually know him. And like I said, this love is not just like a kumbaya love. Let's just all get along. It's rooted in something. It's, it's rooted in, in this idea that Christ is in us. If Christ is in you and in you and in you and in me, right? It's rooted in this idea of who Jesus is. 
and that he is the one, no matter where we came from, no matter what our sin struggle was, right, all of us were apart from him at one point. All of us were separated from God at one point, but faith in Christ brings us back together with God and then also brings us with one another, right? That's the story for every Christian. It doesn't matter if you grew up in, in going to church since you were born, or it doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday in church ever, right? There's no grading, greater grading scale that I needed a little bit of grace uh, and y'all needed a lot more. No, all of us needed a ton of grace, all of us needed Jesus to be reconciled back to God. And this is what our love for one another is rooted in. It's not rooted in our preferences. It's not rooted in our opinions or who we vote for. If we make our unity based on those things, we are missing it. You're absolutely missing it. But our, our rootedness is in something much more greater and eternal, and that's Jesus. And it will show itself when we understand that roots of the gospel, that'll show itself because at the end of the day, our, because God showed us a love that was not based on who we are and what our past was, we don't withhold love from one another because Christ did not do that for us. That's the nature of the love that we receive and the nature, the nature of the love that we give. So it's not, like I said, it's not just about coming to know Jesus individually. Yes, we do have to make that individual uh, place our faith in Jesus but rather it's also living the gospel out in community. Like I said, a, gener a generous love for one another will help us produce a deep assurance of the things that we believe. Because a lot of times, how we experience the love of Christ is through his body. And when we experience the love of Christ through his body, that's going to produce assurance. That's going to produce assurance. And so, what might happen then to a community that actually walks in this and believes this? So what might happen as, as, as Redeemer St. Angelo, um, if, if we actually took hold of this, that we, that we, we are sure that in Christ um, there's nothing lacking, there's nothing lacking, and that the way we can also produce gospel assurance is by the way we love one another because oftentimes it is the, ex uh, the love of the body is the extension of Christ's love to us. So if we actually walked in these things, what, what, what's that going towards? What's that for? Look in verses four and five. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And so he says this, like I said, this is, um, he says this, I, this little phrase, I say this in order. So all the things he just said, verses one through three, actually you could probably even go back further than that. He says this, I say all these things so that you might not be deluded by plausible arguments. So what's a plausible argument? It means that something that might sound true, but really isn't. Something that, that, that kind of can tickle the ears a little bit and, and like, oh, I, I like that, I like that. But, but really, it, it actually is, is not true. Um, and we'll get into the, what those plausible arguments might be as we work our way through chapter two. But here are just a couple. Here are just a couple that, um, um, that we might have heard, right? God just wants me to be happy and healthy, right? Just believe in God and he's gonna give you what you want. God, Jesus is really like the genie, Right? If you do the right things, he'll give you what you want, right? That, that's, we like that. that. That sounds nice, but that's not true. Um, another one uh, that, we, that we see is probably much more common in our, our postmodern society is that Jesus just, is just a way to God. Jesus is just 
a way to get to, to, to be with um, God. But, but he's, he know, if he works for you, great. If he works for me, he might not work for me. That, that's another one we see in our culture. Um, and another one is that some people might just believe maybe there is no God. Maybe we're, we're just here by chance. Right? So like I said, there, there's lots of plausible arguments. We could, we could go all day and talk about what are some plausible arguments. Um, but like I, said, the goal, like I said, the goal of him them being rooted in the gospel and walking in this assurance that manifested itself in a love for one another was so that um, they would not walk in such a way that where they would be deluded or deceived or persuaded to give into things, whether it's a false doctrine or a sin pattern that was not going to ultimately benefit their walking with Jesus. Right? So for Paul, like I said, he wanted them to be guarded against these things. He wanted them to be guarded against these things. And he knew that the best way for them to be guarded against plausible arguments or justifying sin behavior and sin uh, was for them to be assured of what they have in Jesus and letting that uh, be played itself out in the way they love one another. And so you think about it for a second. So when, when you are in a community that elevates Christ above everything else, and it displays itself for a love and care for one another. The, assault, the assaults of doubt, the assaults of plausible arguments, the assaults of temptation will have a much harder time of breaking through and gaining a foothold. Let me say that again. When you are in a community that elevates Jesus and displays itself in a deep care and love for one another, the assaults of doubt, plausible arguments, and temptation will have a much harder time breaking through and gaining a foothold in our lives. And so what this means, practically, is that we need to invite people into our lives who are constantly pointing us back to the gospel. One of the best things I love about working with Ryan, because um, he's like one of my best friends, and we've known each other for, through like a, almost a decade now, is that there'll be days and weeks where I come in, I'm just feeling weak. And like as Ryan said a couple weeks ago, it's okay to be weak. We can say that we're weak. Um, right? I, there's, just, there's just days I'm struggling uh, mentally, emotionally. And he always points me back to the gospel. He always points me back to the hope and faithfulness of Jesus, the kindness and mercy of Christ and our Savior. We need people to continually pointing us back to the gospel in our lives um, because that's how we can walk in assurance. Like I said, when you are surrounding yourself with people who are po constantly pointing you back to Jesus, the, the plausible arguments or the lies or the sins that we might want to give, is, is, it's a, they have a lot harder time to take root in our hearts um, because we're reminding of our, our true identity in Jesus. Like I said, a church community that is growing in Christ um, ultimately will be a community in which honesty abounds. Honesty abounds. Um, um, yeah, so like I said, we don't, have to have, we don't have to struggle in private. We don't have to pretend that we're okay. Like I said, Ryan, like Ryan said, I love that he said that a couple weeks ago. We can be weak. And here's the thing. When we recognize our own weakness, um, we, we recognize that, uh, you know what? I don't have it all together. I do still struggle with this thing. Or I am struggling with this doubt. When we recognize that and bring that before other believers, man, like, that shows that we actually believe the gospel. Because our tendency is to hide. Our tendency is to, right? And hiding and, and, and protecting and saving faith does not produce gospel assurance. It produces uh, the false idol that I've got to have my life together. It produces this, this need to be approved by others. 
And, and Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, like, give, no room, give no opportunity for the devil or give no opportunity for sin. And a great way that we don't give opportunity for sin is when we let other people in our lives. And when we let other people in our lives and we confess things to them, right? James says in, in James 5, 16, he says that, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed, right? When you confess things to other Christians, when you are confessing that thing you don't want people to know and you are met with kindness and the grace uh, and the love and the patience um, through another believer, man, that shows that you believe. Right? When, when you confess, because like at the end, of it, you're not having your identity in um, what people think of you. You're having your identity in Jesus. Like I said, when you preach the gospel to somebody who confesses something hard to you, when you remind them of God's faithfulness and love, like I said, if, if someone comes to you and confesses something, our response should always, for, I mean, yeah, there might be things that we have to deal with, but our first response should always be, hey, if they're a Christian, you are loved. You are still welcomed into God's presence. You are still redeemed. He still loves you. He doesn't tolerate you. And, and when, we, when, we, when we, that's the first response to us confessing our sin, man, that, that like makes it, more, we're more able to actually be open and honest. And like, that's what God wants us to, to do. He wants us to walk in this openness and honesty with one another. And he wants us to, with one another, continually to preach the gospel. We want to bring things before one another because when we bring things before one another, when we're our true selves before one another, we get to sense and experience the love of Christ in much deeper and, and, and more meaningful ways. And that produces assurance. When we get to experience the gospel in community, when we get to experience a generous love and grace that ultimately is a reflection of the love and grace that God gives us, that can produce assurance. And that, that kind of love uh, for one another um, ultimately can come about when we have our hope in Jesus, when we see that, that he is uh, in him are all the riches and wisdom. And so, so as we close today, and Van, you guys can go ahead and come up. Like I said, the, the gospel, um, gospel assurance um, to be lived out um, or to gospel assurance to be, to be produced, man, we have to know that in Jesus there's nothing lacking. And there has to be a love for one another. And the way that might look, it may look when we um, walk together in that reality is that we walk in a culture where we can be honest and weak before one another. And when we're honest and weak before one another and we're preaching the gospel to one another, we're constantly reminding one another of the hope we have in Jesus. That's going to help us remind us of the strong footing that we have. That's going to remind us that, that in Christ there is nothing lacking. So the, so the question that I have for you guys today as we end our time, um, is your faith an individual one or is it also lived out in community? Do you have other people in your life uh, who know you and not just know you on a surface level, but really know you? Do you have people in your life um, where you feel like you can share and confess things to? Like I said, this idea that, that James is talking about confess your sins for one another, it's not this idea that we all have to air, air out our dirty laundry to everybody, um, but it is saying that there are people in your life that know you, 
Like they really know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So is your faith an individual one or are you living it in community? And if you don't have anyone, if you don't know anyone, begin immersing yourself here. And yes, we are Yes, we are in a season where we're still working on getting small groups and equipping classes together, but there are spaces for you to still get involved and plugged in and begin forming relationships that we can be open and honest with one another. Like I said, if, if that's you, come, come immerse yourself. Or, or if not here, find, there's a lot of other good gospel-centered churches in town, right? Um, but like I said, we will walk more, have more gospel assurance um, when we walk in such a way that's honest, um, and we walk in such a way where in the midst of that honesty, we're continually pointing one another back to Jesus. And like I said, when we get to celebrate communion today, um, this is a great reminder for us that, that what our faith is a corporate one. It is a communal one. Um, as we come to the table today, um, and as you see one another passing by, um, remind yourselves that, like, you know what? Man, God, his broken, uh, his son's broken body uh, and his blood spilled is for me, but it's also for us. And, and, and your time reflecting, um, man, be, thank Jesus for the body and, and, and let him remind you that uh, we will get to walk in more fullness of assurance, um, man, when we understand this communal aspect of our faith. And so, um, my hope for us is that we would continue to be a community. My hope for Redeemer is that we would be a church where love abounds, where we can be open and honest with one another. We can have relationships that, that ultimately help one another be more rooted in the gospel, walk in more assurance, and walk in such a way where we know um, that all the treasures and wisdom are found in Jesus. And so God, thank you so much for your kindness and for your grace Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you have reconciled us not only to you, but also to one another. God, my hope and my prayer is that you would help us feel the freedom to walk before one another in honesty and weakness. And Lord, I pray that you would also help us be people, God, when things are confessed to us, that our first response would be, hey, you are loved, you are welcomed, you are redeemed because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Lord, would you help the gospel come more alive in us today? We praise in your son's name, amen.